Episode 167, Michael Buzinski, President and CMO of Buzzworthy Integrated Marketing. Like, well, which one has so many mistakes, you know, over the years? I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is a place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about our guest, his work, and his book, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 167. If you like the episode, please uh, follow, please rate and review the episode, please share it with a friend. And now on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Michael Bozinski. He is the president and uh, CMO of his company, Buzzworthy Integrated Marketing. Uh, so Michael, or Buzz, as most call him, he's a lifelong entrepreneur. He's a digital marketing thought leader, and he's a best-selling author of the book, The Rule of 26 for Service-Centric Businesses, Three Steps to Doubling Website Revenue. So before I tell you a little bit more about Michael, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. And I mean, people do call you Buzz. Should I call you Buzz? You feel yes, is it funny if I, if I don't call you Buzz? <laughs> You know, my, my dad calls me Michael. My wife calls me Michael. <laughs> Everybody else calls me Buzz. <laughs> and sometimes and there's that tone where you would think like, oh, am I in trouble? But no. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, all right. I will, I will call it. Right, thank you, Buzz. Don't call um, me late for dinner. Like, can we do that? Can we make sure? <laughs> um, so Buzz has been uh, dubbed a visionary marketer by the American Marketing Association. Uh, his sole mission is to reduce the prevalence of entrepreneurial poverty in the U.S. So that's a phrase maybe we can come back to and um, hear more about later. Uh, but he, uh, Buzz is a 10-year Air Force veteran. Um, so thank you uh, for your service, for sure. Uh, he now mentors other vetrepreneurs um, through an organization called Warriors Rising. Uh, he leads marketing workshops for the Small Business Administration, the Small Business Development Center in multiple states, and he's presented marketing workshops for multiple universities. So you can learn more uh, about the book uh, online at www.ruleof26.com. And you can also find him at buzzworthy.biz. So um, boy, there's a lot we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a good conversation about here today, I'm sure, Buzz. But as, as we normally do, since it's my favorite mistake, I'm going to hit you with right with my favorite question. What would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, Mark... <laughs> you, I remember at, you asking me this originally and I'm like, well, which one? I have so many mistakes, you know, over the years. I've been a, I've been a full-time entrepreneur for 17 years now. And there are a lot of mistakes I made along the way. I can't say that they're all favorites, but they're definitely trajectory changing mistakes that freed me to get me where I'm at today. So I would say my most recent favorite mistake was deciding to uh, send myself on a um, <clears throat> a video uh, a video um, videography sorry videography trip to Italy uh, a few years ago at a creative agency 
And one of the things we did was video production. And there was a local uh, concert choir in Anchorage, Alaska, that was going on tour in, in Italy. And I only had one videographer and I didn't have anybody else that had road experience and or producer experience and on top of that have videography experience to to uh, be the second camera and we only could take two people so i decided to take myself and my video guy one day into the trip i get a call from my office manager saying that the power had gone out in a par- part of the of the building we had a 13,000 square foot facility and i'm across the world and basically what happened was somebody didn't pay the bill uh, to one of the three meters I had for the building. That's how big the building was. And my office manager didn't take care of it. And I had young staff that thought, oh my gosh, they didn't pay the electric bill. We must be going out of business. (laughs) And for 11 days that stewed with, you know, uh, let's see, out of the 25 people in the building, technically 23, because two of us were in Italy. um, I, I would say 15 of them, all millennials. Uh, nothing against millennials, but they're all in the same mindset, right? And they're young and they're just out of college at the time and the whole nine yards. And it's, they're just spinning like, oh my gosh, I got to pay rent. I got to pay my car bill. I got to pay my, my tuition bill. I mean, all the other things that goes along with that. And so by the time I got back, I kind of had this little coup d'etat that happened. Um, and had I been in the building, would have never have happened. But because of that drama that lasted a good three months of just horrific drama. I had, I'd lost probably five staff out of the whole thing. Um, it just, it was horrific experience, but because of it, it drove me to make the decision to break the company up. We were a multi-million dollar creative agency in Anchorage, Alaska. We were considered one of the top agencies in the state. Um, and that was all fine and dandy on paper, but I was absolutely miserable. And it really forced me to take a look at, well, what does the next five years of my life look like to clean up this mess? Because you can't just go on Indeed and say, hey, by the way, we're hiring. So come on up. Like you're going to Alaska. It's a move. It's a commitment. And you either love it or you hate it. Um, And so at that time, I'm like, well, how do I do it differently? Because if I just do it the same way I've been doing it for 15 years at the time, what am I going to be? What is it going to look like in five years? It should be more of the same. And so that's when I just decided, I was like, listen, we're shutting this building down. It's too much of a pain in the butt. I don't care anymore about the building. Um, you know, it was just wasn't worth it. And so I said, we're going to flip this thing on its head and we're going to go completely virtual. Still want to work with me? Go home. We're going to work yeah. from home. Wow. Okay. And, and this January was pre-pandemic even? It's pre-pandemic. So mm-hmm. yeah very, very serendipitous, uh, as the pandemic hit. But, um, January, 2019 is when I opened up buzzworthy integrated marketing. And then I took all of the media production and put it into a division that we're now called BuzzBiz media. And it's a legacy production house. Uh, it's award winning. And we've had clients for, like I said, 15, well now 17 years. And excuse me, the, uh, but the focus was buzzworthy and buzzworthy would not exist had I not made the fatal mistake of going to Italy when I did. Wow. Uh, and so that's, that's a great example of a favorite mistake where there's, there's some sort of serendipity 
or, or something that comes out of it. So it's just kind of recapping. It sounds like there's a couple different layers of mistake. Maybe one was not having a really solid process for who's paying the electric bill. Like that wasn't your responsibility as, as the CEO, that was somebody on your team. So there was, there was that that was probably avoidable. And then there was that compounding of you were out of the country and like, it was a matter of like, you didn't know how people were reacting because you weren't there with them. Right. And I was in, and I was having to share quarters with an employee who was in that same boat. So he, that person was getting feedback and holding it back and not saying anything, right? Because people were, you know, it was fuming. It ended up being that um, <laughs> that person decided that when we got home, that he didn't need the company anymore for the project and actually told the client to go direct with him as we were going through this transition. So, I mean, even with all of that, it was definitely what you were saying as far as my top two were not the right people. And we didn't have the SOPs to make sure that those types of um, issues didn't happen. And and furthermore, there weren't the right people, even if I had those SOPs, right? So, you know, it was a perfect storm and it was the best, worst thing that ever I've ever had to go through because now I don't have as much stress. I have a third of the staff and do much better for myself. And I have a company that works for me versus a company I work for. I own a business. Um, for the most part, I'm, I'm still, you know, we're always working to, for that financial freedom, right? Where we're not working in our business, uh, but very minute amount of time. And even then we can just disappear for 30 days and it'll come back, come back to it stronger and better. Uh, you, it doesn't need you. That's when you know you own a business to me. And so, you know, we're three years in um, and we're still working it out. I mean, for 15 years of, of, of brick and mortar, you know, now three years in of a uh, online only remote staff that's spread from coast to coast. <laughs> it's a different, it's a different beast, but it's a lot of fun. And it does allow me to travel a lot more with my wife when we love to travel uh, all around the world. And so, the, it all of the things came from that one trip. Yeah. Where again, maybe just as a recap to it, what I heard you saying, Buzz, was uh, you, you without that. I don't, I don't know if wake up call is the right word, but you you would have just you probably would have just continued cruising along. Like sometimes we there's inertia autopilot where we, we we keep moving, and that prompted you to to reevaluate things. I appreciate your reflections instead of just blaming those employees or saying like, Oh, well, they, they didn't care about the business. Shame on them for leaving. Like, it seems like you, you did get some feedback of what had happened, what role you played. I appreciate you taking ownership of that. Well, buck stops at the owner. I mean, anybody who doesn't want to take responsibility for what happens within their company, regardless of the situation should probably go get a job. Yeah. (laughs) Because it all Um, boils down to you. You yeah. put every you put everybody that's in your business in your business, regardless of whether you're a direct hire or not. Um, and you put the systems in place, and you put the policies in place, and you you're responsible for cultivating the culture, and you're responsible for the welfare of your employees while they're in the building. I mean, all of that's on you. And I thank you. I appreciate you, uh, no, uh, you know, giving me credit for it. But I also feel like that's my duty, and that's the minimum 
requirement yeah. of being a CEO. Yeah. Well, and what you said there, that's really powerful. And not everybody shares that mindset. So I think it is worth calling out. Like I think back, um, somebody who I was fortunate to be exposed to, um, he passed away in early 2020, Paul O'Neill. He was uh, the U.S. Treasury Secretary under um, George W. Bush. He had been the CEO of Alcoa. And Paul mm-hmm. O'Neill as a CEO and as an executive, he that was one of his uh, core beliefs, that as the leader, you are responsible for everything that happens in your organization. 100% whether you like it or not, because you, you articulated it very well. Um, Thank you. Similar to what, what he would have said. So you've got a kindred um, CEO spirit there with that, with those mindsets. So, um, you know, there's other things we talk about, you know, there, there are a couple details from your profile and bio that I, that I didn't read up front. Um, you, you describe yourself as a failed musician. I'm curious, like, was, was that, because of any mistake or it's just, it's a tough, it's tough to make it as a musician, right? Yeah. Well, so it's funny because I became a professional jazz trombonist at the age of 13 when my junior high jazz ensemble decided to go pro and we recorded an album. We had t-shirts and matching hats and all the things. And we went on tour up and down the California coast. And uh, then we all, went into high school <laughs> and it all just kind of went away from there. Um, but it was a great, it was a great experience and it gave me the bug um, to entertain. And so I picked up a guitar at the age of 15. And by the time I was 16, I had a punk rock band called fallout shelter. And there's two of my other buddies, one of them, which I taught how to play the, the bass guitar as I was learning how to play the guitar. So it was, you know, it was just one of those, I think that's like where the, the entrepreneurial, under coat that I have is just always been like, we'll figure it out as we go. We'll build the plane as it's taking off. Right. Just, yeah. just, we'll, get, we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay. And um, so, yeah. And I went through a series of bands through high school and shortly after high school, I was technically a, a high school dropout for a few years. Um, didn't go back to high school until I was 21, right before I joined the service. And then while I was in the service, I had working bands. It I probably kept me out of a lot of trouble uh, being in a band. So it's, there's responsibility. It gives you focus. Um, it had a lot. Of, it gives me a lot of practice in the marketing that I kind of came from sales and marketing in my early uh, professional career before joining the service. So that kept that going. Uh, technology was part of it because we now had CDs that we could burn in the practice area and, and give out demos at the shows and had a lot of fun doing that. But for, uh, what was that? 15 years. Um, you know, I was a working musician and, you know, it was always a side hustle. Um, always had aspirations of making it, but you no, know, we just never made it. Just uh, yeah. not tall enough, dark enough or talented enough. <laughs> Well, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, so when you say failed musician, I guess, you know, it always comes back to the definition of failed, like, you know, being able to pursue that even as a side hustle for 15 years, you know, it's not a complete failure. But the goal was not met and that's Uh, failure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a tragic failure, (laughs) but it's failed. I shot for something, didn't hit Mm it. Move on. But it's not, I mean, it sounds like then with the moving on, you had learned a lot in the process. It seems like a mm-hmm. band. I, I I had a guest um, on the podcast who had been in a, a country music band, but then parlayed that, even though the band never really 
made it big, he parlayed that into uh, an online software business. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm having a total, my most, most recent mistake is uh, having a total um, brain cramp on his name. Steve, Steve Garin was his name. I'll look, uh, I'll, I'll, well, people can I'll, I'll look up the episode number, but, okay. um, but it's similar to what you were saying, like, you know, thinking of the band as a startup and thinking of those lessons, you know, he found a business that was very related to musicians and songwriters, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a different, different way of learning but, from that. Well, my first business when I, when I got out of the service, was the Buzz Biz Studios was a recording studio. And so I'd had a horrible experience in recording studio, professional recording studios before throughout the process. And I didn't want other musicians to have that problem. And I really liked the technical part of it. I almost got out of the service uh, at the, my, on my, cause I was in for two terms at the end of my first term, I almost got out and moved to Austin, Texas, to become a songwriter, uh, yeah. you know, and thank God I didn't make that mistake. <laughs> that <would have> <laughs> So, uh, when I, so I got stationed up in Anchorage, Alaska, which was beautiful. I got to live there for 17 Mm. years and, um, it was, it was about a year into that, that I realized that surviving off of starving musicians was a horrible business plan, but it was a wonderful mistake. And it pivoted me into what I would have never have thought, which was media production for small businesses. Mm. Uh, you know, I had to take a look at that. And of course, you know, a lot of micro businesses don't have money either, but their whole process is like, they have to market to survive. And, you know, marketing has been around. It's one of the, the longest lasting um, professions in the world and human, human race. And, you know, it's not going away. And I was good at it. I, and I feel like I'm better at it now than I have ever been because I become more and more of a student. So the more that I feel uh, as a student, I feel the better I am because I'm just staying sharper and sharper and I just keep getting it more focused. And, you know, just the energy is really focused on the revenue and all those good things. When, you know, when you're first in business and you, you launch your business, it's about paying the bills, you know, and it's like, what can I do to garner revenue, right? Where do people find value. And one of the first things we did was I'd, I'd hired a, uh, a homeless guy off the street who helped me uh, paint the place, um, lay the carpet. We, we figured out how to lay carpet and I built out the, the uh, sound room and did all the engineering and designing and all that good stuff. And when it was all said and done, he didn't have anything else to do. And I was kind of giving him a place to sleep. And he was kind of my security uh, system before I had my security system put in. And I had a lot that I had accumulated while I was in the service to build the studio out. So, um, so he got, I told him, get a phone book, call the local businesses and ask them, you know, who makes their business cards. Cause right about then, um, color business cards had been invented. Like it was one black and white, one color, two color, possibly three color. And if you had a full color business card, that was like the mammoth jamma. Right? And I found a, uh, a, a distributor who would wholesale to me and we could work through mail, right? So they would send it to me and I deliver it to my clients. And so we would go in, I would go in with this little portfolio of, of uh, business cards that I designed and they would see the difference between a one color and a full color. And they'd look at their one. I'm like, I want, I want color. And I'm telling them mm-hmm. the price. And they're like, well, that's as much as a two color. It's like, yes, I can give you full color for the <laughs> price of two color. Oh yeah, let's yeah. do that. Okay, great. Can I have the design files? 
oh, I don't have color design files. Oh, that's okay. We have graphic design. (laughs) There's another service. And and all the things that marketers do. (laughs) And and, uh, it built from there, you know, and we started adding things on. My original thought was that I was going to create a full media production studio uh, for musicians. And so they would walk in and from get to go, we would create everything from recording the album, pressing the album, album art, posters for the concerts, uh, postcards to, to, to their mailing list, video, uh, music videos, you name it. We were going to do it one-stop shop for the musician. Of course, none of them can afford that uh, mm-hmm. level of yeah. service. And so right. that's where the pivot came really quick. Yeah, there's there's um, a classic entrepreneurship um, lesson that often comes up when you talk about lean startups and the need to pivot. But the questions of, can I do something? Like clearly you could technically deliver those goods and services. Then there's that question of, should I? Is there a business model around the product and service? And your story uh, sounds like the, the, a great example of the need to pivot and, and, and find a market. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that, that, was, it, that was fun. Uh, one of the, my favorite mistakes in that era was taking on a... Um, uh, sponsorships. It was a sponsorship and trade for the local uh, equivalent of UFC. So mm-hmm. mixed martial arts, right? Yeah. Who is now a partner with UFC. So they, they're on their network and everything. So I was in the early days of that and helping them out. And I thought having my name plastered in the middle of the mat would definitely bring, bring people in. And I worked with this lady for <laughs> three years and it was always, always such a stressful place for us. But we thought we got to keep it going. It's there. It's keeping the machines running, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, whatever my justification was for those three years, I made it happen. And then when she decided to go a different direction, I thought my whole world was falling apart. Little did I know her leaving was the best thing because the next cycle, all of a sudden we had all this bandwidth mm-hmm. for paying customers what a novel idea. <laughs> and, and so it sounds like that's where your phrase um, trying to eliminate entrepreneurial poverty comes from. Is, is that trying to help people avoid the, the trap or help them getting out of the trap of I'm super busy, but I'm not making any money? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I find I, I, I coined the, or I borrowed the phrase from Mike Michalowicz. I don't know if he coined it or not. Uh, when I read his book, Profit First. And, um, I just clung on to that. I was like, that is exactly what I've been doing. Not, not knowing it, but that's what I do. I tell people, you know, don't spend money on marketing. If you one can't afford to invest it and lose it because there is a inherent risk to marketing. And then number two, don't garner business. that's not profitable. And for many years I undercharged and it wasn't until I realized that me under billing for my services was actually stealing from the clients I was trying to help. Mm. I thought I was giving them a deal and finding a way to do it on the cheap. What we're really doing is robbing them of the opportunity costs because we weren't all in. Neither of us, the client nor I, were all in on doing what was necessary to get them to where they wanted to go. And so while I was rebuilding through Buzzworthy Integrated Marketing, that's what happened. Rates doubled, tripled, quadrupled because I started getting really like stringent on outcome and the outcome has to be revenue moving. It's the most expensive needle to move, 
but it is also the most profitable needle to move, right? And then with that, I find myself, the more, uh, the better I get at that, as we have been getting much better at that, because we're all in every time, we're getting these great results. Well, now I'm finding that I've got to prep my clients to go, okay, can you handle this kind of business? Because we're going to give it to you, but now can you process it? Because the worst thing I can do is give you all the traffic and then you just sit there and let it all fall on the floor and make your brand unreliable in the public mm-hmm. eye. Yeah. I can't have that either. Yeah. So I find myself in this, this little gray area sometimes of business uh, consultant and I bring in my friends who are business consultants so that there's we don't confuse the two, right? And say, hey, listen. You know, Bob over here is a business consultant. He's going to make sure your finances are right, your processes are are good, and you're and you're doing things so that they're in a profitable manner, right? So client comes in, you serve client, client pays and leaves, and you're actually left with a little profit because so many of us work on cash flow versus mm-hmm. profit flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of great tips. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, great advice uh, in the book. Again, our guest is Michael Buzz Bazinski. Um, the Rule of 26 for Service-Centric Businesses is the title of the book. Um, and at a high level, what is the Rule of 26? Very simple. The Rule of 26 in its entirety is if you increase unique traffic by 26% to your website, the conversion rate of that website by 26% and the average value per client or average revenue per client of that business that you get by 26%, you get a compounded effect of 100% more business from your website, essentially doubling the revenue you get from your website. And I created it because service-centric businesses fail to utilize their website because they don't see how they can get business from it. So the book clarifies very simply, if you just focus on these three KPIs and here's some tactics to get you started. You too will immediately start moving the revenue needle. And if you get through all three steps, you will double it. The great thing is, and when you're done and that's not enough revenue for you, just do it again. It'll double again. And, and so you don't need to double website traffic. You don't need to double the conversion rate. You, you, it only has to go up by, by 26%. You're saying. Each. Yes. That's surprising to people, I think, right? Yes. And that's the thing. Like people sit there and say, well, you know, well, why don't I just double the, the traffic? I mean, I'm only getting 500 people. I'll just get a thousand people. It's like, well, are you getting the right thousand people? Right. Right. Is your conversion rate staying stable as you increase traffic? And so that's by key. paying attention yeah. to all three, you know, making you look at all three and saying, okay, I did by 26%. So I didn't have to go all in on traffic. Just needed to go 26% more. Okay, did we stay at the same conversion rate? No? Okay, well, then we need to get up to where we were and then increase it by 26%. The great thing is this. When you're doing that, you're literally increasing revenue from your website as you're making these KPIs happen. So it's not like you have to do all three things and then all of a sudden you get paid. You're getting increases in revenue from your website as you go, which I feel is much more rewarding and promising to the brain to say, keep going. Then saying, okay, we're going to double. And then you do the, all the work to double and nothing happens at the revenue yeah. level. Yeah. So as an engineer, I, I couldn't help but do the math. Uh, I, on, my, I, on my iPhone calculator, I multiplied 1.26 times 1.26 by, times 1.26. And sure enough, it checks out. You get 2.000376. 
That's uh, why it's and, 26. Cause that, I, originally yeah. I did like 25%. <laughs> that's not quite. And then I'm like, but that's like one, it's like 90% more, 97% more. I was like, well, what would it be to get double? I mean, everybody gets double. Like I like double. Right. And so then I'm like 26. I just, I just popped in 26 to do the, the same math you were doing. And lo and behold, that's what happened. <laughs> I was like, perfect. That's what the rule is. Yeah. So, um, when, in the realm of digital marketing, there are probably all sorts of mistakes. Um, you, you've touched on a couple, like one would be growing website traffic or even growing your client base if they're not the right leads, if they're not the right clients. Um, all sorts of mistakes in that realm. Is, is, is there any sort of uh, you know, newest digital marketing mistake that, that you run across and try to help people avoid? So the newest trend is that people are suffering from the newest shiny object-itis. And so we, since 2000, I would say 11, you know, when Facebook and social media advertising really took off, it birthed this uh, wave of digital marketers that were basically one tool wonders. And then when Facebook and Apple and everybody decided that that we're in charge here with the big uh, boys decided, well, we're going to make it harder and harder for you to make a living doing that um, through all the things that have happened just in the last five years. We have found ourselves looking for that next trick instead of focusing on the fundamentals of marketing. People do not realize they make the biggest mistake is thinking that digital marketing is any different than any other type of marketing whether it be mass media marketing, guerrilla marketing, word of mouth marketing, referral marketing, I don't care what kind of marketing it is. You always come back to the fundamentals. And when you don't start with fundamentals, then your little one trick ponies put you into a really bad cycle of feast and famine because it works until it doesn't. And then you have to figure it all out again versus let's figure out the fundamentals are practice everything through fundamentals so that when things are not working through fundamentals, it's just not going to work. We're not trying to trick the system. Right? And we end up with a more stable uh, flow of new clients or a much stronger retention rate of current clients, which is much better. You know, And that's part of marketing is retaining your clients, always remarketing to your folks. And then for website marketing, I think the biggest mistake uh, and my favorite mistake to point out is when service-centric businesses talk about themselves on the homepage, right up top. I am awesome. I am Mark <laughs> and I am the right. best. Grab me while you can. I am in, in hot, hot pursuit. Everybody wants to work with me, right? Me, 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 I, 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 us, 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 right? Versus you, your, right? People are selfish. And if we don't talk to their pain point, or their dream, because a service-centric business has two purposes. Either you are solving a problem, or you're helping attain a dream. So only two things you can do as a service-centric business. If you don't start there, you have lost them within the first three seconds. Too many opportunities to find somebody that's going to resonate, right? We want that confirmation bias that somebody understands my problem, that I'm not crazy. Oh, you get it. Right. So we're re we're reworking our website right now because we didn't go far enough with that. We just said, hey, most people struggle with websites. But guess what? We're here to help instead of 
no, you're probably one of these, you probably have one of these six scenarios going on and this is where you're at. And this is, this is, and then we can start talking about what is the cure for the one of those six diagnoses, yeah. right? Yeah. That's and smart. then talk about us only on a, either far down onto the homepage, very short, and then give the opportunity to an about page that we can then talk about mm-hmm. been given the permission to talk about ourselves. Yeah. That's well, really, it sounds like really great advice. So if you want to learn more about, uh, about buzz and his businesses, go to, you, you can go to buzzworthy.biz for the book. You can go to rule of 26.com. And maybe as a, a final question real quick, I, I think it's great that you're doing this, uh, the work through warriors rising to help other veteran entrepreneurs. If, if you could tell us about that real quick. So I stumbled upon uh, Warrior Rising at, and when I moved from Alaska down to Illinois and um, I was looking for, a, the philanthropy to me is is kind of a responsibility of business owners. Um, from not giving back to our, our community, we're basically just extracting resources and keeping it. And I just don't feel like that that's the right energy we should as business owners and employers um, and service providers to our community really thrive. Right. And so, I mean, at one point I, I probably went a little too overboard. I think, I, I think we figured out that I had donated about a hundred thousand dollars in one year worth of, uh, pro bono services to nonprofits, <laughs> but you know, it was great. It helped us. Uh, it helped me, um, feel good about what we were doing for the community. And, you know, I just think that that's where we're at. So I stumbled upon uh, warrior rising who mentor, transitioning veterans from the military into entrepreneurship. And so the term vetrepreneur is the veteran who becomes an entrepreneur and um, kind of like dadpreneurs and womanpreneurs and mompreneurs and all that other stuff. Right. So um, what I do for them is uh, mentor. I volunteer mentorship. So I just had a call where I was in front of about 15 vetrepreneurs and we were talking about business leadership. And just what does it mean to be a business leader? Because most of them are a solopreneur and some of them are looking to get their first employee. Well, how do I handle that as a leader? Because if we set that precedence early, like I didn't, um, you know, one of my mistakes is I befriended everybody that came into my business because it's a very lonely place and that's where you can make friends, right? And they're yeah. paying to they're paying to hang out with you. So <laughs> you're paying you're paying right, them. You're paying them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was. I was teaching against that mistake um, and helping them out. So that's what we do there. Um, the guys who run it are all veterans, uh, really good guys. Uh, Jason, the CEO and founder of it, is just amazing. Um, he he leads by example, and um, I'm really honored to be given the opportunity to donate my time and my experience to help these guys out. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So thank you for all of that. And Buzz, thank you for being um, a great guest here today. I appreciate you being so forthright with different mistakes and learning experiences that you've had through different phases of your life and in your career. That's that's what this podcast is all about. So thank you for thank you for being here. No worries. I hope somebody gets something from it and doesn't make some of the mistakes I made. <laughs> Well, thanks again to Buzz for being our guest today. For more information about him, his book, and his firm, and more, look for links in the show notes, or you can go online to markgraven.com slash mistake167. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them, or turn them into a positive. 
I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.